Uh, this week, I flew to Portland. That's where I'm originally from, Portland and Seattle, but a lot of my family is in uh, Portland. I flew to Portland and was there for a couple days because my cousin, uh, who was 46 year old uh, and had a 7-year-old and 11-year-old, died of COVID. And so was at his funeral. And uh, funerals, if you have been to them, oftentimes are, are amazing. They're beautiful. You're able to reflect on someone's life. You're able to see family that you haven't seen in a long time. Um, and they're also really sad, obviously. The reason that we are gathering is because of someone's death. And so there was lots of tears and lots of laughing and lots of hugs and, and lots of tacos. Um, so I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, and so you know we had lots of tacos and, and a lot of Mexican family as well. So we had a, all sorts of great stuff. It was a celebration um, and, and sad. And during times like that, whenever there's tragedies, people ask questions. People ask, God, why did you allow this? And especially when um, you see someone die that is younger and has a young family, people say, God, why, why so young? And sometimes people wonder, maybe not out loud, but is, did someone do something, did, did he do something bad? Is this God's judgment? Is this God's punishment on him? Why? People ask these kinds of questions. And, and maybe it's not even just with, I'm telling you a, a personal story of relevance from this week, but even as you read the headlines in the news, sometimes we ask those questions. We wonder, why does God allow this stuff? Or wonder, is, man, did those people do something? Did they deserve this? And it just stirs a lot of questions. It stirs a lot of reflection. If you've had someone close to you die recently or you've seen tragedy happen recently, you probably ask some questions. You probably wonder different things. Maybe, I know, I talk to people that have had tragedy happen in their life in the past and they still have a lot of questions about it. It's still unresolved for them, the reasons that this kind of thing happens. And during tragedy, we have opportunity for reflection to see what is really important. That's one of the things about conversations at funerals, whether I am there as a pastor or a family member that oftentimes are heard is, okay, what, what should change in my life? It creates kind of this reflection. Uh, people that have broken relationships, even within my family, that may, maybe I should call them. Maybe I should ask for forgiveness. Maybe we should reconcile. It starts to bring up reflection around family and priorities and how do I want to live and how do I want to be remembered and what's important, all those kinds of questions. It, it stirs up reflection. And the hope is that in reflecting about these kinds of things, we are pushed to something better. That we reflect and we think and we talk about our life and, and that moves us into living in a different way, in a better way. A reordered life, a, a life where we change certain things or have peace in our relationships. The hope is that it pushes us to something better. And we're going to look at a story where some people bring to Jesus a couple different tragedies and wonder some questions. What does it teach us? What should we reflect on? And they bring these to him. And he says, he says how to use these tragedies and whether you have experienced tragedy recently, personally, or in the past in your life, or you will, or you just observe it. These people are actually just observers. It's not even personal tragedy that has happened to them. They're just observing tragedy taking place. And Jesus gives to us a way to use this so that we can move reflecting into something better. But it's not the kinds of things that we often reflect on. Or, or it's not the kinds of, of way that we often think of moving into something better that Jesus gives. His solution isn't, yes, you should really hold those you love dear. His solution isn't just reordering priorities in our life. What Jesus gives and what he tells us of how we can use death and how we can use tragedy, whether it's in our life or we are just observing it in somebody else's or in the news, he tells us, that the key thing that we need, the key thing that, that, that we need to tap into in moments like that is repentance. He says what we need to reflect on, what we need to use is repentance. And that repentance is actually the key that opens up so many things in our lives. And it's a word that we've heard 
We've all heard the word repentance, but it's not a word or not a thing that we often think about during tragedy. I don't think I, when I was at the funeral, heard, and and I didn't hear every conversation, but I, I don't think I heard anyone say, you know, what we really need to do is repent. It was family, and it was how do I want to be remembered, and what's most important in life, and should I be working this much, but not necessarily repentance. And yet Jesus says that is the key. If we want to be led into something better as we reflect on tragedy, whether in our life or around, Jesus says, here's what we need, repentance. Now, we don't, I don't think, think a lot about repentance or talk about a lot about repentance, and Jesus says we need to understand it. So we're going to explore repentance today and what he says and what we can learn since it is the thing that pushes us into something better. So let's read what Jesus says, and then we will explore this topic together. Luke 13. At that time, some people came and reported to him, that's Jesus, reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So he doesn't go into a bunch of details about what happened here, but it's just kind of, here's a news story that happened. There was some Galileans offering their sacrifices at the temple, and Roman soldiers come in and slaughter them right there in such a way that their blood mixes with the blood of the sacrifices. Gruesome, right? At least PG-13. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? Sometimes that's what we believe when someone suffers something. Maybe it's because they did something bad. Maybe they were more sinful. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed. So another tragedy that must have happened recently, a tower falling. Not not necessarily, uh, this is more of a natural disaster versus an attack that happens. Do you think they were more sinful? than all the other people who live in Jerusalem. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And then he tells a story. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. So let's explore this topic that Jesus pushes us into together that will lead us to something better. What is repentance? Oftentimes, we think about repentance. I don't know what, you're, what you kind of think about when you hear that word, but oftentimes when we think about repentance, we might think about just feeling really bad. So if I were to say, hey, repent, and what would you do in that moment? It might be, okay, I need to just feel really bad about what I've done. I need to feel really bad about my sin or about my life choices. Or, or maybe uh, more than that, we often think about just stopping our sin. So you're doing something, and you're told to repent, which means stop doing that. And that's kind of how we think of repentance. But it's much more than that. The word repentance, Jesus uses it all throughout, but the word repentance, if we actually look at what the definition of it is, I just want to show you these from kind of a theological dictionary, which I know you all read very often, um, is metanoia uh, is the... the, the um, the noun form of it, or the verb form of it, uh, is metaneo, and here's the two definitions, really the same thing, but just the verb and the noun form. It is generally refers not simply to changing one's mind, but to turning back to God. So it's not just changing your mind, but turning back to God. In, in the New Testament, primarily refers to a comprehensive change of one's orientation towards following God. So if you think about repentance, it isn't just feeling bad. That's nowhere in here. And it's not just stopping whatever thing it is that you're doing. But it's bigger than that. It's much more holistic than that. Repentance is a new direction. 
It's a new orientation. It's a new change. It's, a, it's not just a turning away from something, but it's a turning to something. It's not just a stopping something, it's a starting something, and it's not even just activity. It's not just, and I'm saying just because it includes, but it isn't just, I'm not going to lie anymore, it's also, I'm going to tell the truth. It's not just, I'm, I'm not going to be mean anymore, it's I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to be greedy anymore, I'm going to be generous. But it's more than that, because it's not just actions. It's the whole disposition and orientation towards God. So it isn't just I'm stopping this activity and doing this activity. It's a whole heart posture and turning towards him. Repentance is personal. It isn't just you and your activity and choices. It is you and your relating to God because all of our sin is actually against God and thus repentance isn't just a change of activity but a turning to God. Repentance is a holistic thing. And I don't know where you think about in your life. Where do you need repentance? Where do you need a different orientation? Where do you need a change Where do you need a direction shift? Where do you need new following of God or a turning away and to him? It can be in a lot of things. It might be in the actions that we do. It might be that we have certain actions that we know. So there might be things in your life right now and you know, I need to stop this. I need to change this. I cannot keep going in this way. I need to change the way I use my time or the way I use my money or the way I use my sexuality or the way I use my words or I need to change this hostility or bitterness that I feel towards someone. There might be things that right now you know that you are aware of. You know you're going this way and you know I need to change and go this way. So there might be things that you are aware of, actions and, and, and ways of being that the Holy Spirit has told you and communicated to you and you've heard in sermons or with community group or you've read the Bible or whatever way that God has kind of brought it to your attention, you're aware of it. It might be that. It might just be patterns of who we are, which sometimes are trickier because you're not necessarily thinking, I know that this is bad, but it's really hard to stop. It's more just kind of who we are. It's who we've developed into. Maybe you're impatient or you're angry or you are someone that just easily freaks out and is anxious about anything and doesn't trust God or someone that allows um, your, your fears to keep you from being bold and speaking when you need to or someone that just kind of is rude as a general disposition Someone that lacks joy or patience. I mean, all all sorts of things are just who you are. You're not necessarily waking up in the morning and saying, today, I'm going to be rude. But it's just kind of who you are. It's harder to change that. You're not necessarily waking up and saying, I'd like to be impatient in traffic this morning. I bet that would go really well for me. Every time I wait in traffic, I just am going to get really frustrated. I bet it will set me on a great course of my day. I'm going to do that this morning. You're not deciding that. It's just kind of who you are, who you've developed into. And and you might be aware of some of that stuff. Some of it you might not be aware of. Other people near you are aware of them, but you might not be aware of them. But you might know it about yourself, but it just, you're kind of stuck in it. It's kind of hard to change those kinds of things. It's not a conscious choice to just stop a thing. It's who you are, your character. It might be things like that that we need a new orientation towards. And even with that, you see how more comprehensive repentance is than just stop doing this activity. It's an orientation towards God. It's a direction towards God. And it it might be heart things that are there that doesn't even necessarily look like bad stuff that you're doing, but the Bible says that our hearts can be set on or worshiping things instead of God, which sometimes 
looks really bad and evil, and other times it looks like a normal life, but our hearts are far from God. We love what people think of us, which might result in us being really afraid of people and not talking to anybody. It might result in us just changing decisions based on what are people going to think about me. It might result in us just being really anxious about our text messages or our emails or how we come across. It might result in us being really, really nice, but because we want people to like us and see us. We can have a heart that is set on or worshiping or loving people's approval and people's acceptance. And it might look really bad, but it might look really good. But the Bible says those heart kinds of things where we're worshiping or directing our life towards or oriented to something instead of God, we need to change. We need to repent. So see, it's, it's more comprehensive than just stop lying or stop cheating or stop stealing or stop committing adultery or stop killing people. You should do that if you're doing it, but you stop those things. It's more comprehensive. It's our whole orientation, our whole being, where we love other things more than God, where we're directed to things instead of God. Yes, it's our choices, but it's also our dispositions and personalities and characteristics that have developed if they're directed against God. And it's what our heart is set on, where we love comfort, or we love security, or we love our family, or we love people liking us, or we love um, our, our goals and our future plans more than we love God. All of those things can be good things, but when it's actually what we're directed to and living for and living from, repentance is what is needed. It's not simplistic. It's turning every thought and goal and action and emotion and choice away from this and towards him. See, if the definition of repentance is this orientation to God, a turning away from this and a turning towards him, then it's totally comprehensive. It's everything. Are all of my goals turned towards him? All of my choices turned towards him? My thoughts, my actions, my beliefs, my why for living, is it all turned towards him? See, what this means is that God is not simplistic. God wants all of you. He wants every part of your life. Now, that might sound scary and like, oh, you want to take over all of me? But it's also beautiful that God is saying, I don't, I'm not just interested in Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I want, I want your whole life. I'm interested in every part of you. I want to transform every part of you. I want to bring my love and my goodness and my character into every part of who you are. I want to affect your choices and your mind and your heart and your life and your actions and your family. God says, I want all of you. I don't just want to stop bad behaviors. I want a completely new orientation that I bring into your life. And listen, if you're not a Christian, that's true. Before you become a Christian, that's what he's inviting you into. He's inviting you into experience a whole different way of being with him at the center. And if we are Christians, what he is saying is this is the constant thing he's bringing us back to. Because to become a Christian in some ways is to turn from this to him. But throughout our life, we're continually tempted to go this way. And he keeps pulling us back. And he keeps saying, repent, come over here, come this way. It was... Around 1,500 years ago or so, that the Reformation began. And it began with Martin Luther nailing on the door of the Catholic Church his 95 Thesis. And the beginning of it said that all of life is repentance. Which, and there's more, there's 95 Theses. But it began with saying all of our life is a continual turning of repentance. And I know it it's Halloween, but it's also, uh, this is also the time that is celebrated Reformation Day. So there, there you go. So this is actually a holy holiday, and that's why we're decorating caramel apples. Um, Martin Luther would have wanted caramel apples uh, in the church. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that was one of the theses uh, Dion said. Yeah. 
I had to give him credit for that because it was funny. And I used to have this professor in college that I would sit in the front row and I would always say these little jokes. And then he would say it to the whole class and everyone would laugh. And I'd be like, I'm, I made that up. <laughs> so ever since then, I was like, I will never take credit for another person's joke. So repentance is this entire new orientation where God wants all of us and wants to speak into shaping every part of who we are. Second thing is why do we need this? I mean, we're talking about what it is, but why, why do we need that? Do we need that? Do we need this change from this to this? Do, do we need that in our lives? And, and why do we need it? Why does Jesus say, this is what you must reflect on when you, and, and listen, I want, some of you, again, are going through tragedy, and it's helpful to reflect on this, but in this story, these people weren't going through tragedy. They were just looking at tragedy that existed, and Jesus says, here's how you can use that to help you. Here's how you can use that on your heart. So some of you, life is great right now, but you have family that's suffering. You see headlines in the news. You see tragedy that happens. And Jesus says, use this. Use this. Here's why he says it's so important. There's two things. First is this, sin is death. Sin is death. And we don't oftentimes think about sin that way. And, and, and when I say sin, I don't just mean bad actions. I mean everything that we just talked about. I mean a heart not directed towards God. I mean a love of other things instead of God. I mean our characteristics and personalities that are askew from who God is. So I mean all of that comprehensively when I say sin. And sin is death. Sin is death. We, we don't think that often. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. We think it might be enjoyable sometimes. We think it might be fun. We think it might be better for us. When we sin or continue in patterns of sin or love other things instead of God, we don't think, this is death. I'm really going to choose loving my comfort more than other things because I want death. We don't think that. We think it's good. We think it will bring us the life that we want. We, the power of sin is in the promises that it makes to us, saying, choose this and life will be well. Hang on to bitterness, you will have power. Choose these actions and you will have the pleasure that you want. Set your heart most on building your career and that will give you the life that you want. Prioritize your family above anything, God, church, Jesus, that will give you the family and the life that you've always wanted. All of these different things. We, we believe that it's good for us, not death. Think of when you're tempted. Think of when you're tempted towards something. Think of when you're tempted to, to say that thing to someone. You don't think this is a choice for death. You think this will get them and that will be good. That will give me power over them. That will let me hurt them in some way that's needed. Think about when you lie. I know you've never lied, but think about other people that lie. And the reason that we do it is for some, we want to look good, or we don't want to be in trouble in some way, or we don't want to, we want to be able to get ahead a little bit. We, we do these things because we believe it will give us something good. It feels good. We believe it brings good. But Jesus says this. Jesus says that actually sin is like being slaughtered. Sin is like having a tower fall on you. Sin is like being cut down if you were a tree. That, that's what he says when he says, you will all perish as well. Unless you do these things, you will perish as well. It's to say that it's similar. Jesus doesn't mean that if you keep on sinning, literally a tower is going to fall on you. He doesn't mean that someone's going to come with a chainsaw, it is Halloween, and cut you down. He doesn't mean that, that while you're giving sacrifices, a Roman guard is going to come in and slaughter you. That, that's not literally what he means, but he means that something like that will happen as well. You will perish, you will die, you will experience death as well as those people. It's something like that. Sin is death. It brings death. 
because it separates us from God. And what does that mean when we say it separates us from God? Well, in an ultimate sense, it means we're completely cut off from God for eternity. But in a here and now sense, it means that when we sin, even just think about visually, when we sin, we're separated from God. We're separated from his truth. When we live a lie, we're separated from his truth and the world that can be created as we live in God's truth. We're separated from his love. When we, when we are going this way, we're separated from experiencing what God's love does and creates in our life. When we're sinning, we're separated from God's wisdom. Anytime that we are going this way, God says, I'm wise and I know what life looks like and I know what can be in your life. And I, and I know, I mean, if God is God, then he's the smartest being that exists. And that means that his, his wisdom on money and time and family and, and heart and identity and choices and career and work and, and characteristics and all of that, how we handle our stress and problems, it means he is wisest and it will give us the best that can be in life. But if we walk away from his wisdom, we're experiencing a life without that. We're experiencing a life that is created by our own wisdom. So sin is death because it's a separation from all that God does and wants to do in our life. From his wisdom and his character and his purpose for our lives, it separates us from that. Sin is death. So we need repentance. We need to turn away from it. But it's not just that sin is death. It's also that God is life. That's just the flip. It's the opposite side of the coin. We need repentance because sin is death and God is life. God is life. When he's warning us, the reason that he warns, the reason that he says, unless you repent, that means that he is saying there's another option that you can have, that you will have death and perishing unless you repent. That's kind of the connection here from here to here. You will have death unless you repent means there's another option that is available. That's what unless means. There's another option, which is life. God is life. To be near him is to experience life. To be near him is to experience all that I just said. The reason that the negative is given is not just so that you see how bad sin is, but that you see how good God is. Sometimes I'll tell my kids something like, hey, you need to brush your teeth. And I'll show them pictures from Google images. If you just Google in like horrible, disgusting teeth and there's some nasty stuff that comes up. And I was going to put it up here, but I decided not to because I didn't want anyone to have a sick stomach for the, the Martin Luther apples. So um, you, yeah, uh, but it, the reason I'm showing them that is not just because I don't want them to have that. It's because I want them to have something better. And when God says, don't over here, it's not just because he doesn't want you to have bad teeth. It's that he does want you to have that nice, beautiful smile. When God says no, it's because he wants us to experience what yes looks like. When God says this is death, it's because he wants us to experience what life looks like. So sin is death and God is life. Listen, God is not I don't know how you think about God, but God is not mainly trying to keep you from sinning. That's not God's main goal. God's main goal is not, okay, I got to stop everybody from sinning. It's that he wants to give us life. He wants to give you what he has created you for and designed you for. And he wants to give you himself and to experience a life completely oriented toward him. That's what he wants for you. That's what he is after. God is life. And the invitation is not just to go away from sin, but to come to him. And listen, this is so important because you will, I don't, I don't know what areas you feel like you need to repent in. Maybe, maybe you're not aware. Maybe you know some of them. But when you think about repentance, you will not repent if you just think that sin is bad. 
if the way you try to get yourself to change or to be different is to just say, this is bad, it's ruining my life, it's, it's, it's going to destroy my relationships, it's, it's not going to lead to flourishing, this is bad, God doesn't like it, it's disgusting, it's evil, it's, I feel guilty when I do it. If you try to change and work on your heart, or if you try to help others change just by showing them how bad sin is, you'll never change. The only way to change is to see how much better God is. It's to see who he is. It's to see what he desires for you. It's to see what life with him can be and what he brings and who he is to you and to trust him and know him and believe he wants your good. That's how we change in anything, by the way. You don't just change by seeing how bad something is. No one ever got healthier by just saying, uh, you know, donuts and chips are bad. You probably won't believe that. But it's you want something better if you say, I want to be healthy. I want to actually be able to move. I want to actually be able to um, you know, not have a heart attack when I'm 25. I, I want to be able to have this. And so you begin to change. It's the something better that draws us. Remember when I was younger, we always grew up, and no offense if this is what you either still do or how you grew up, but grew up and would always, my mom made spaghetti a lot and would always have just that craft Parmesan cheese and put it on everything. And I thought it was so good. And I don't, I haven't used that in ages. And it's not because I thought craft Parmesan shaker cheese is gross. Cheese in a can is bad, <laughs> although that's true. But it's not because I changed from that. It's because, really, because I met my wife, and she grew up in a family that made fancier food, and she, I didn't know you could buy Parmesan, like in the cheese section. Oh, it's actually a block? And now, well, you have Parmesan shredded on things, like with a long, greater thing, and it's way better. And now that's what I eat. Not because I said Kraft is gross and green can with cheese in it is bad. It's because I experienced something better, and so I changed. My desires changed. My love changed. What I want changed. You see, sin is death. So we need to repent because sin is death. But also because God is life. God is life. His grace is better. His goodness is better than any other goodness over here that we try to pursue. His comfort is better than any of the other comforts and pleasures we try to get for ourselves over here. His approval and acceptance is better than any of the approval and acceptance we try to get over here. His control of the world is better than any of the ways that we try to control and manage everything and thus freak out and stress out and freak out and stress out the people around us. His control is better. See, when you press into that, and use that on your heart, over and above, anything that's appealing over here, that is what begins to lead us into repentance. And that's why we need it. I don't, where, where do you feel stuck? Where do you feel like you're over here? Whether that's an action, or a disposition, or a heart that loves something, where, where do you feel stuck over here? God wants to bring you into life. And the way that that begins to happen as you see him is better. Sin is death. God is life. So what happens then when we repent? Jesus says that he wants us to repent. And whenever there's tragedy, we reflect and it leads us into something better. And Jesus says, here's what to reflect on. Repentance. Why? What happens? If we repent, what will, what will happen? What will take place if we repent? You might see areas in your life that you want to change or you know change is needed, but sometimes we think it's very personal. This is kind of my issue. This is between me and God, and it's just kind of my thing, and maybe I need to work on it. And you might even think no one really has any right to kind of tell me what's right or wrong for me. Only God can judge me. Listen to too much Tupac and, and believe that it's just kind of your thing. Jesus says very different from that. What he says is that our repentance is not just about us. It affects other people. Look in the story about the parable. He says about the tree, why should it even waste the soil? You see, this tree that is unfruitful or a life that is unrepentant, 
this is not just about the tree. It's actually wasting the soil around it. Now, that kind of sounds harsh to say you're a waste of space. But that's kind of what Jesus is saying a little bit in the story. He's not trying to be mean and just, you know, say you wasted space. But he's telling this story that our repentance isn't just about us. It affects other people around us. It takes other resources from other people. Even if you just think about that emotionally. If you're someone not repenting, and let's say you're just kind of mean and rude, you are wasting space and affecting other people around you. Their emotional energy has to go, go, go towards managing you and thinking about you and, and being careful walking on eggshells around you. It's, it's affecting other people, not just you. If you think about your time and your money, you might say, my money is just me and God. And yet, to not use money in a way that's generous affects people around you. All of the things in our life are not just about us, which that, that is part of Jesus' vision is he's not just saying, I want you to stop being bad. He knows that we are interdependent, interconnected people and that our life affects the lives around us. It affects the soil around us. It affects the people around us. It's not just about you. And you might not see it, right? You might not know. You might think it's a very personal thing and you really need to work on this issue. It's just, you know, if sometimes we even use the language, if it doesn't hurt anybody, then why does it matter? You might just think it's just about you. But Jesus says, no, it affects people around you, whether you see it or not. And thus, what happens when we repent is the opposite of it negatively affecting people. It leads to fruit. That's what he comes to look for. He comes looking for fruit. Because when we repent, what happens is we are transformed. We're transformed. Think about organic imagery. We're transformed internally in such a way that it leads to something external. We're transformed in this orientation towards God. But if you start living your life in an orientation towards God, that's not going to just affect you. It's going to bless other people around you. It will be fruitful. If you turn your disposition away from whatever is over here and towards God, then you become more loving. That, does, that doesn't just mean that you can mark loving on a personality test. It means that love begins to be fruitful around you. And people are changed and blessed. And you become more generous. That means people's lives are changed and transformed. And you become more caring and you become more sensitive and you become more patient and you become more gracious and forgiving. It means people's lives are changed around you. You become fruitful. You become who God intended you to be. If you've ever planted something, if you ever planted something and you put the seeds in, whether those are vegetables or a tree or fruit or whatever, and nothing comes up, and you curse the soil and just hate it, maybe you're not as intense as I am, and you just, get, you just ignore it and move on and watch Netflix and say, I knew I shouldn't have tried gardening. Maybe that's all you do. But you, you hate it because it's not doing what it's supposed to be. It's not becoming who it's supposed to be. It's not flourishing, and it's, you know, a, we, we planted some cosmos, okay? Those are, those are flowers. And we planted some of those, and they took forever to come up. We planted them from seed. And it's easy to look at it and just go, you're not being what you're supposed to be. What's a flower supposed to do? It's supposed to add beauty. It's supposed to add smell. It's supposed to help the bees. It's supposed to do all sorts of stuff, right, that helps and is fruitful. And if it's just a green stick, that's stupid. No one wants to plant a green stick, what did you plant? Green sticks? That's, I'm a great green stick planter, you know. It, it's supposed to do all of that stuff to bring beauty to our backyard, to have smell, help the honeybees so that, you know, we don't have global disaster or whatever else you're supposed to do for bees. It's to be who it's supposed to be. And God says this, what happens when you repent? Whoa, how to skip ahead. What happens when you repent? Oh, I messed up. That's all right. What happens next? Okay, what happens when we repent? God says what happens when you repent is that you become fruitful. What happens when you repent is that your life becomes its intended purpose that God has for you. See, without repentance, there are things that God wants to do through your life that will never happen. There is a person that you are meant to be. 
There are people's lives that you are meant to change and affect. There is blessing that's meant to come out of you. There is beauty that God wants to create like a cosmo through your life. Like an apple tree, God wants to feed people and bless people through you. Like grapes, God wants to make wine through you that there's feasting and celebrating at banquets and weddings. God wants to bring fruit out of your life. That's what happens when we repent. That's why it's so important. It's not just about you. It's about all the people and things that God wants to do around you. Think what could happen in your life if the changes that you know need to happen, happened. Think what could happen in your life if all of your time was oriented to God, if all of your choices were oriented towards God, if all of your, your characteristics were oriented towards God, if all of your money was oriented towards God, if all of your relationships were oriented towards God, if all of your goals were oriented towards God, what would happen? It would produce fruit and beauty. You would be who you were created and intended to be. And Jesus says, God's looking for that. He says, God is looking for that. The gardener shows up and looks and says, is it there yet? Is it there yet? And there's areas in our life that are, pro there's areas in our life that are probably experiencing no fruit, that are barren, that are empty, that's just a green stick. I don't know if you know where those areas are or if you feel where those areas are. Maybe some of them you do. You're like, ah, yeah, it's missing there. And God wants you to know that he can bring change. God can bring change. There might be results that you want over here, but you even feel hopeless. There might be things that you want to see God do in you and through you, but you feel like, I don't know how to get over there. I don't know how that could change. I, you know, I've gone too long or I've been raised too bad or how, whatever it is. And sometimes we just ignore those areas. Sometimes we just try harder to, to change. And Jesus says he wants to bring life. He looks at whatever barrenness there is and says, I can bring fruit there. Whatever is barren, he says, I can bring fruit there. I can do something there. And repentance is what leads us to experience that fruitfulness. Final thing is really just reflecting on where we need to repent. I want everybody to shout out where you need to repent. No, I'm sure. Where, where do you need to repent? Where is it in your life? See, reflection normally pushes us to something better normally pushes us to more time with family or changing our priorities. Jesus says the great need to reflect on is repentance, but his point with these stories that they bring to him is that we often miss it. When he says, do you think that they were more sinful? Do you think that these people were more sinful? He's saying a lot of times when we reflect, we actually miss it. Our mind goes the wrong way. For them, it went to I think these people must have been really sinful, which is what created this. But he says a lot of times when we reflect, we actually go the wrong way. And part of the going the wrong way is we think that it's this big, awful sin or something that must have killed these people. But part of Jesus' point is, yeah, this is an evil, awful tragedy, and this is a make-the-news tragedy, but there's daily, everyday stuff that all of you, Jesus is saying, that aren't even experiencing this kind of death and suffering, all of us are just as guilty. All of us are just as much in need of repentance. And it's easy to miss the need. And Jesus is saying it's a daily, ordinary thing for each of us. And look, the story, the parable of the, the vine dresser, it ends open-ended. doesn't say what happens. Right? The guy says, hey, come back, give me one more year. Maybe after four years there will finally be, but it ends, doesn't say. And part of the reason a lot of times Jesus will leave his parables open-ended like that is because it's to say to us as the audience, and what are you going to choose? So Jesus says we all need repentance, and then he closes with a story to say, okay, so where do I need it? Where do I need it? Am I going 
to repent? Will I turn from my dispositions and loves and actions? Will I turn and orient towards God? Where do I need it? And will I do it? Those are two important questions. Where and will. Where do I need it? Will I do it? Jesus is working. And like it says in the end of this parable, he is digging in the soil of our life. Maybe part of that is right now, where he is shoveling and digging and tilling the soil. And the ground might be really hard, and the ground might be, have been being loosened for a long time, but he is working and active in the soil of our lives and in our hearts, and he is patient. I love that about that story. Comes back year after year after year. And then even when he's ready to cut it down, he says, all right, another year. God is patient with you and I. I mean, that's good news, right? Would you give someone four years to change if it was affecting you? Maybe not. God is patient with us. He is working and active in the soil of our lives, and he is committed. There's, it's never too late. There is always hope. And even just the fact that Jesus is calling us to repent shows how merciful he is. Because you can hear the words repent as kind of judgment, or you can hear it as Jesus standing over here and saying, you are completely rejecting me and ignoring me and sinning in a way that deserves death. And I'm saying, come to me anyway. See, the call to repentance is actually a merciful call. The call to repentance is a call, I still want you. I still want relationship with you. I still want you to be oriented towards me. You've been going against me. I still want you. And we might look at that and say, how can God do that? Is, is he just really nice? He's just a really nice guy. But the way that he can call us to repent even, and, and give us mercy, even though we're sinning in such a way that it's deserving of death, is because Jesus died for us. See, Jesus was slaughtered in our place, so we don't have to be. His blood shed. Jesus was crushed. The Bible even uses that language, not by a tower, but he was crushed because of our sins, because of our iniquities. They were placed upon him and he was crushed. And Jesus was cut down for us, cut away from life, from God, even in a moment on the cross. Jesus experienced all of that for us so that even though we sin in death, he can stand in mercy and say, repent, come to me, come have life. That's the good news. That's what we are going to celebrate in just a moment when we take communion. Every time we take communion, we remember that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us because of his grace and his goodness so that we don't have to experience that death. He died the death that we should die. And the more that we see that, the more that we take that into our heart, the more that then we want to be oriented towards him. We don't want to go that way. We want to be with that person that would do that for us. Jesus did this for us. Not just so that we listen to a sermon on repentance, but so that we actually repent and are connected to him. So I want to give you just a couple quick applications as you spend some time in communion. As you take communion, Confess to God. That, that's the beginning place. Confess whatever the Holy Spirit has revealed or what his word has revealed to your heart, things that you knew or didn't know. Confess where you have not been oriented towards him. Dispositions, actions, other loves. Confess so. Tell God. Don't just try to work harder and don't just try to be better and don't just ignore it. Actually, take a minute as you take communion and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been like this. I have loved this. I have gone in this way. I've gone this direct. Confess those things to him. And remind yourself how he's better. And then ask him for his help. Ask him for his help to, to walk with him and to see him and to love him. 
and to trust him. And if there's other people you need to confess to, confess to them. Because remember, our repentance isn't just about us. It's about other people. It might be that your actions and your disposition and your loves have affected people around you. Take a moment and confess to them. Spouses, kids, friends. Confess to them. Maybe some of those people are with you here today. Maybe it's an action item that you need to take home with you. But confess, because it isn't just about us. And then one final application that I want to invite you to. Every fall, every November, our church does a fast. We pray and fast. And part of that is to seek God in repentance. Part of that is to bring our hearts to him and say, God, we don't want to have these areas in our life that are disoriented towards you. We want to orient our whole lives towards you. And we can talk about that here on a Sunday, which is great, but what kind of fruit would get created? if we take a season to do that? What kind of fruit gets created if we push into connecting with him so that fruit is created in our lives and around our lives? And so if you go to our website and you go to the Next Step page, you can go on your phone, truelifedenver.com slash next steps, or you can scroll to to the section, you'll see it. There's a Next Steps thing, and then there's our event page, or you can just Click the event page on the homepage also. There's a sign-up for our fast. It's called Planted, 25 Days of Prayer. And I want to ask you to join in that and take 25 days, a season to pray and to reflect and to say, God, I need you. We need you. And what could God do as we, it's not just 25 days of repentance, but that's a part of it. What could we do if we are repenting and seeking God and praying? What kind of fruit would God create through us as a church? What kind of fruit would God create in your life? So I want to ask you and invite you and encourage you, sign up for that. We'll send out prayers every week and ways to reflect and think, and you'll be joining with others in prayer. Jesus says, we need this. Jesus says, there's a lot of things that we could reflect on as tragedy happens. But repentance is a key that leads to the life that he has for us and the joy that he has for us, the escape from death and the entrance into life. If you want prayer for anything, I'll be in the back and would love to pray for you for healing or for just your heart or any of the things that we've talked about. So I'm going to pray. Take a minute in your seat as you take communion and then we'll respond in a few songs and in caramel apples. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you are a God of life, that you are life. And your heart is to rescue us. Your heart is to save us. Your heart isn't just to tell us what we're doing bad. You want to save us, to bring us to you, to know you and live with you and experience life. And so I pray, God, even as we take communion and as we sing, that you would let these truths go deeper into our heart and that you, God, would create a fruitful life in each person. That you would create in us a fruitfulness as your people, as your church. So Spirit, let us see where we need to repent and lead us to see your beauty so that we do so. In your name, Jesus.